0: This how it feels. We are electric eels, going round like a wonder wheel. Round,
1: round,
2: round. Welcome to Talkscript, a superset of a podcast about JavaScript. The presenting sponsor of Talkscript is SitePen, a JavaScript consultancy helping companies improve their apps, tools, and teams. Check it out at sitepen.com. Let's find out if Talkscript is your type of podcast.
0: Hello, and welcome to the TalkScript Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Forbes. I have with me today, Nick Nisi. Hello, Neil Roberts. It's an honor
2: just to be nominated.
0: And our, sp- <laughs> <laughs> and our special guest, Paul Shannon. Howdy. All right, we've got a full-packed episode for you guys today. So we're going to get into some community updates, and then we'll... Uh, talk about our topic at hand
2: i can't believe nick hasn't continued using his catchphrase from the clip show what was
0: it i'm recording this in vim (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right so our first well our only community update right github announced that they are going to start hosting some registries nick can you give us a little info about that
3: yeah, so I happened to catch a little bit of the live stream where they announced this, and it's pretty cool. Basically, GitHub has very much been the place where your source code goes, but then you go somewhere else for to actually use that code. So places like NPM, for example, for JavaScript, or RubyGems for Ruby. And what GitHub has done is they have announced that they're going to have their own package repository. So not only will your source code live on GitHub, but you can also publish your packages straight to GitHub as well. And that can integrate into all of the tools that you use today, like NPM, the CLI of it, or Docker. It it supports NPM, Docker, Maven, NuGet, and RubyGems.
0: Man, so I'll be able to do this. I'll be able to use my Python code with this? Mm, As long as it
3: can go into RubyGems or... Uh. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean, NPM and Maven accept just random code dumps like you can put any artifact in there
3: yeah
0: right yeah i mean yeah npm as long as you got a package json
3: in terms of npm it's not really anything new with npm you've always been able to like host your own registry for example and that's basically what this is doing here and then in your NPMRC rc or through your cli you can config npm to pull specific scopes to from github instead of from the npm registry itself but that is the one catch of this is all of the packages on GitHub have to be scoped, and they're scoped to the the user or organization slash the repository name. So like for us, if we decided to put Dojo on there, it would be at Dojo slash framework. So exactly what we have on NPM, nothing would really change except we could host it there. But I think that this gives us potentially some interesting paths forward for things like security and other things.
1: Yeah. So I've done a lot of stuff with repos, a lot of mostly Maven and Nexus, because it was kind of the first one out the gate with offering like a solution for hosting your own. And it's nice to have a hosted solution that covers all these that is also hosting your source code. So kind of everything falls under this umbrella,
3: Uh
0: which makes me a little nervous. Mm -hmm. I mean, GitHub just will be your one-stop shop. And while that's convenient... My thought is, what does that mean for other solutions? Like, where do we innovate, you know?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I think there's always going to be an NPM, and there's always going to be, you know, a Maven Central. And as long as Docker is around, there's going to be a Docker hub. And I don't really, I don't have experience with the other two, but they're always going to be around, but it is going to kind of suffocate any kind of other entries into the market, Mm -hmm. which might not be terrible. I mean, if it provides a solution and it commoditizes it in a way that, It just becomes an outsourced cost that you and your own organization doesn't have to support. That could be a really good thing. But if innovation is still around in in there, then that could be a bad thing.
0: My other thought is just from an open source standpoint, since GitHub provides private repositories and I know NPM does as well. If I remember right, there's a cost involved with NPM private repositories, but with GitHub, there's not anymore. Private repositories are free. I want to say that there's a cost
3: for private packages.
1: So you can run a private repo on GitHub, but there's some limitations to it with how many people can share it and things like that. So I'm actually hoping that if they're going to charge for this, that they put it under that umbrella.
3: It is, yeah. I I recall now from the live stream, that is what it it is adding to the value. Okay, private package repos will be for a cost? Yeah. The other interesting thing will be like, what if you don't own, like if we didn't own the Dojo org on GitHub, could somebody who did own that just start publishing a Dojo framework that you know, could be potentially malicious? However, on the other hand, this does put GitHub in a unique position of being the place where your source code is, and then if this is also where you're publishing your packages, there is the potential for some automated certification that the code that you are publishing matches the code that is on GitHub, so you don't have that exploit possibility that like with the event stream hack or other things where you can actually review the source code on GitHub and have some kind of understanding of that that is the source code that is actually built into the package. I don't think that there's anything specific like that with, with this announcement, but it's possibly a pipeline that you could build with things like GitHub actions because uh, this all integrates with, with GitHub actions as well. So I could see that as being kind of an automated thing going forward.
1: Yeah, unifying security under this would be really great. I mean, again, Maven has like a service that provides audits of packages that are automated and looks for security issues, but having it across all of these repositories in a kind of a uniform way would be pretty nice for an offering like this.
0: Well, we encourage you guys to check out the GitHub package repositories. Sign up if you can, and we'll provide a link in the show notes. So on to our main topic today, we are going to talk about NestJS. If you're not familiar with it, our domain expert, Paul Shannon, (laughs) is going to give us a rundown. So Paul, why don't you tell us a little bit about NestJS?
1: I feel like expert is now us throwing each other under the bus. (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
0: yes it is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, fair enough. So, Nest.js is a server-side framework for creating mostly RESTful kind of architectures. So, if you need to put up a server, it's written in TypeScript as a TypeScript-first server framework. It's built on Express, so it uses some of the common vocabulary of Express, like routes and middleware, and supports anything that Express essentially supports. What it really does that's interesting is it gets rid of a lot of the boilerplate code that you end up having to write with Express by providing kind of this opinionated framework that's very decorator-based. So instead of having like this functional flow, like you oftentimes have with Express, there's kind of clear entry points to everything. Like your application starts as a module at the top level And that module is registered with your, you know, as your Nest app. And other modules are kind of registered from there through a dependency injection system. And then all of the modules have controllers, which your controllers have routes. And then your services and providers, which essentially are injectable things, are provided in each module. So each module has like an imports and exports and its own providers that serve to kind of inject into your controllers. So your controllers are your top level and they provide your routes and then they use these things that are injected into them usually services but you can do essentially anything any kind of injection and then on top of that you have pipes and guards and exception filters and like every kind of way to like intercept this data and then on the outgoing side of things Nest by default exports everything as JSON so it's very JavaScript-centric or JavaScript-friendly. It's written in TypeScript, so it's a TypeScript-first framework. You can use it with JavaScript, but you really get the most benefit out of it when you use it with TypeScript. And yeah, it's we've been using it for a few projects. I wrote a blog about it like a year ago now, and it's been a good experience on working with sites
3: that need to scale. So, Paul, it kind of sounds like you just described Angular in a lot of ways. it's very if anybody's familiar with
1: angular the decorators will be very familiar
3: and modules and dependency injection and services (laughs) yeah so the big difference between
1: writing server-side code and writing client-side code is that server-side code necessarily needs to be simple in order to scale so if you're writing client-side code oh it needs to handle all these transitions it needs to manage state indefinitely as long as your user is using your application state needs to be managed. So Angular has a lot of complexity associated with it and that adds a lot to scope and binding and everything. Whereas when you have like a server side project, you have essentially a middleware that runs through your request and it runs through stages. Like your middleware essentially transforms your request hands it off to a controller, your controller gets dependencies injected into it, your controller evaluates your request using services or, or whatever, and then it outputs something or it sends an exception. If it sends an exception, there's an ex- a global exception handler, and if it doesn't, then it's gonna output something to the user. So the flow is completely different on a server-side application. It's way more suited for this kind of decorator setup than a two-way binding project, or one that needs to main state for an indefinite period. Like if you're writing server-side, most of your state should exist in cache or in a database somewhere. So yeah, the differences make a difference. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick, you've been using Nest for a while, haven't you? Yeah, a little bit. What do you think? Other than, hey, it looks kind of like Angular, which admittingly, it does look and feel like Angular a bit, but the whole like approach is different because it's you know request response, things go in, things go out.
3: Yeah, I'm totally trying to troll with that. And (laughs) (laughs) but I, I think that it is interesting. I like that it's it's simple getting things set up. And like if you want to set up new routes and things, you just define that with decorators and it's like really straightforward and the code reads really easy. I really like those pieces of it. And then yeah, being able to, you know, define your these DTO objects or data transfer objects and you just define what's on them and Nest kind of takes care of making sure that those are JSONified and sent back to the client. So it's really easy to get the data that you need and you don't have to waste a lot of time like did I turn this into a JSON string and pass it down? You don't have to think about any of that. You just do it. And then being able to you know, inject the services in there, that's actually the part of, like the dependency injection part of Angular is what I really like about Angular. Yeah. So being able to do that, like, it makes things easier to test because you can easily mock out calls to a service and, and then return whatever you want and make sure that it's passing back whatever you want. And then finally, the exception handling is just super cool. Like being able to define... I forgot what they're called. Are they guards? And being able to say, you know, if if you didn't pass me up this exact data, or if it's not, you know, this type, then throw an error. And you can specify what error it should throw. And so it just makes setting all of that up really easy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's pipes and guards. Yeah. Both of them can throw exceptions. I think pipes are the ones that will transform your data and validate. And guards are the ones that kind of say whether to activate a route or not.
3: The cool thing is like you can define like, you know, on a a new route, let's say that you wanted to pass up data, like you're passing up your form data, you can just specify what arguments that function takes and use decorators on each of the arguments. And it will effectively fill in what those are. So you can say like, oh, I just want to get the request object itself and the response object and I'll just do everything manually. Or you can say, this is sending me up JSON data and it's actually this DTO. So give me it as this DTO. And so it will all be typed with TypeScript to that. So you know exactly what properties are on there and you can work with it really easily and go from there. So it's really nice being able to integrate with the type system like that.
2: Are you using for these guards and transformers, are you using TypeScript interfaces or another data
1: format? So essentially they are loosely defined interfaces. And so you have provide a class to extend like a guard and it has to fit into a certain interface. So like a guard has like, I think it's do activate or something activate to identify whether or not, and it goes as a decorator on a route. And so it identifies whether or not that that specific route should be activated as part of a request. So if you're running like authentication to see if they're able to get to a certain route, you can have a guard on that route and identify whether they have sufficient permissions to use that specific route and if they don't you return false out of your do activate and then nest will take care of a a message that says that they don't have access to it A 40 was a 403 something like that i'm just saying numbers now (laughs) anyway if you're validating like a, a data structure
2: are you doing that manually or are you able to use interfaces or classes somehow
1: So if you're validating a structure, you're going to use a pipe and a pipe is essentially a bit of code that happens in front of before your route is executed. And so you can put it on to a route or you can put it onto a whole controller, or you can even do these things globally and they will authenticate as part of that, and then you have a couple options on how you want to validate as you're coming in. So like if you wanted to, there's the joy library. I think they recommend, and there's another library in their documentation that they recommend to use for validation.
3: Class validator? Yeah.
1: There's a number of libraries. They don't specify which one you want to use. And if you wanted to write it like all by hand, you can. But there's a lot of good libraries out there. Yeah. One of them has decorators on top of your DTO that tell the shape of what it should have. And you can integrate in there. So like when you get down to it, if you use one of these libraries, you're talking about writing like a dozen lines of code perhaps and then you have a validator for that dto
3: yeah and those decorators look like things like is string or is int or is email address or mm-hmm. something like that or you can create your own and then it will just fail with an appropriate error message automatically or you can customize that based on you know if you didn't pass all of that data up and paul mentioned that you use they're kind of loosely defined interfaces via classes and i think that's because interfaces have no they don't exist at runtime, so it's using classes. I can't remember the exact reason, but...
2: Well, yeah, I didn't know if they were using like some of the reflection stuff that's in progress or anything like that.
3: I think that you do have to... Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you have to have the reflect metadata package. It
1: depends on what you're using. You used to, but I can't remember for what you need it anymore. Nest has a CLI that will set this all up for you. So you just have to... If you create a Nest app through their CLI, you don't really have to even think about it. And so I haven't thought about that in at least a year about any kind of deep level, like how it uses the metadata, it just kind of magically does it like Dojo does a lot of times. Like it just does some magic. And then you, you know, you have this working thing, which is fantastic. One of the other things you, you mentioned you like the dependency injection. I don't know if you mentioned that one of the nice things of having dependency injection is the ability to test becomes a lot easier Uh because you can just provide dependencies and instantiate classes rather than having to go through some crazy process, you can just test things individually instead of having to bring up a complete system.
3: Yeah, that is really nice and really easy. We're also using, on the project that I'm on, we're also using Jest, and so we're just using the kind of automatic mocking that Jest provides, and it works pretty well.
1: That's nice. You want to share like how the automatic mocking works for you?
3: Yeah, so you can tell Just to mock a specific module or the return type of that. And then it can replace like all of the methods on a class with mocks. And then you can tell it specifically what each one would, what you want it to return. So it can just return that and you can test errors or or anything like that. Or you can just create your own in a custom way just by using fn, I think. And just creating mocks like on the fly as you need them. But being able to inject that into the controllers that you're using. And then obviously you never have to hit a database with those tests. Then you can just test that given this return value from the service, this is what the controller does and verify that you're know all you sending back the appropriate error message or success message. You're getting the right data to where it needs to go.
1: Yeah, having the test support's really nice. And I've been on the other project that's been using this for a while. And Jest is pretty nice. It's pretty quick. It has a lot of nice tools that make testing this pretty fast
3: yeah and this is all stuff that you can do with with really any any framework any testing framework and any backend framework that you're using but there's just a lot of i hate to say magic, but there's a lot of magic that just makes things easy and I think that once you get your head around what how it's trying to help, then you just understand the magic and you're okay with it because it's just making your life a little bit easier.
1: I think it's called glue yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is the the magic is that it's a loosely coupled but opinionated framework. And so with Express projects, I've done Express projects before, and it's really hard to scale them sometimes, especially within a team, because you have to be very disciplined with where things go, and you have to form your own opinions. And Nest kind of has formed a lot of those opinions for you. And they're, they're pretty good opinions. Like they follow closely to single responsibility principles, and they define like how routes and things go all the way through. And if you go onto their website, their documentation is really good and it's really complete. And they'll show you how to do things like all of their basics, sure. But then they'll also get into like, oh, how do you use GraphQL? How do you do login and authentication with Passport? How do you use like their CLI? How do you use like esoteric things like they have microservices and WebSockets? So you don't have to do just, you know, HTTP and S calls. You can get into like raw tcp calls and still have it wrapped with nest so they go deep and they go far they've done a good job of trying to be complete and have opinions all the way through so you're not going to have to event, invent things for quite a while hopefully brian i don't know if it's your beard but you look a bit skeptical um Maybe it's just your silent strong it might
0: just be my, sil- my strong silent persona mm-hmm. so i took a look at it and it looks really really nice I read your blog, right? And I hopped right. into some of the... Plus one right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Boosting those stats. I uh, took a look at some of the documentation, and I liked what I saw. I liked that... So the things that you mentioned, somebody mentioned earlier. Somebody said something about
1: how it's like Angular. And I think Nick definitely did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, think Nick did, yeah. Mostly <laughs> just a troll Paul.
0: I know. No, no, I know it was to troll. I, I couldn't remember who who did it. But anyway... What I liked about it was, so in Angular, if you use a decorator on something, like if you've got, if you've got like a template variable, it's got to be a public variable on your class. And what I liked from Jest, or sorry, not Jest, Nest, (laughs) what I liked from Nest was that if you use a decorator on something, it doesn't have to be public. You can make it private. And so you can guarantee that the uh, interface that you're presenting in your class is actually what what you want people interacting with. So I really liked that. And I know that there's some technical reasons why that needs to be for Angular. But when I'm setting up, you know, template variables, and only the template is going to be interacting with those, I should be able to just make those private because I don't want anybody else outside of my class to actually mess with those. So when I when I looked at Nest, that was the first thing that jumped out at me. It was like, oh, look, I can have... Private variables that are used with decorators. That's great. <laughs> I can have actual encapsulation. And then, you know, dependency injection is always nice. I never got into like the testing, how it looks to set up. So in Angular, you've got your test bed and then you have to set up the test bed every single time. But it's, it's a little unwieldy at times because there's so much stuff to have to mock or provide or whatever. When I see dependency injection, I'm always skeptical Because the promises sometimes are not fulfilled yeah, they're not fulfilled. They get rejected. (laughs) So yeah, I would need to look at the project code and, and see, but I mean, from what you guys are saying, it seems like it'd be really nice to use. And from what I've seen in the docs and stuff, it looks really nice.
1: Yeah. Some of the fundamental problem again with angular is the lifespan of a request is somebody clicks on a button and then a whole bunch of stuff happens. And then the state is stored also locally, and then they keep doing actions over and over again, whereas you know if you typically writing server side stuff you want to minimize you know state as much as possible or put it into a specialty tool like the database or you know run it in a different service than your web service and so nest with dependency injection and all of that benefits a lot from having a almost a more React-like type architecture, where you you have this middleware and route handler, and your request runs through those things, but your state exists in a a state blob, which is your database. So anybody who's used Angular is right to feel a little skeptical about (laughs) the notation and dependency injection and the actuality of those things, but should going into it should totally know that the design of a server-side application is necessarily simpler than a client side because otherwise you wouldn't be able to scale it,
0: yeah, for sure. No, and I get that. So, I mean, the other thing with dependency injection is kind of the problem that we ran into and uh, back in my day, sorry, but <laughs> <laughs> so back in the Dojo 0.x series, we came up with this idea of topics and it was pretty popular within the Dojo community, and then the jQuery community. Kind of saw it and was like, oh, this is a neat idea. And then topics took off. What we found out with topics was it's like you can build really nice systems with it, but you it's hard to figure out where things are coming from, how it all works together. It's hard to track that down. What I've seen with something like spring or other dependency injections where you kind of like you set up your routes with decorators And then everything's just kind of automagically wired together. Sometimes it's hard to track down where routes are actually coming from, like what's actually handling a a request. So maybe you could, you know, how would you in a Nest application kind of prevent this, you know, this problem of, all right, I've got, you know, I've got this, this URL I'm hitting, where do I go to find out what is actually you know, without diving into the, the application route and then tracing back.
3: That is tough, too, because Nest supports things like middleware and then these guards and pipes. And so there, there's a lot of steps that it goes through before it would actually even hit the route that you... If you found the route that it's hitting, it might fail along the way there or it might fail on the way back. So there's a lot to get to. Uh, maybe Paul has a, a good answer of of how you debug that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I have an answer. So... You know, some of it comes back to discipline. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. When you're writing a Nest application or an Express application or any application, it really behooves you to structure your classes and your controllers and your modules in a way that reflects your API. So if you have a hierarchical RESTful API, your controllers should reflect that. So if you have an admin section, you should have a folder that says admin and you should have an admin controller and module in it. And so structure is always important. I mean, you, you can do whatever you want. You could have a controller that handles just everything and then you would have it kind of express again, but you, you got to start with structure and, and have some opinion of that, that you're not going to do essentially bad things. And you're going to have a good hierarchy, the compartmentalization of code and encapsulation help because you know, your controller should always manage flow. And your guards should always manage what guards do, and you know protecting your application from doing certain things. But if your controllers are also authenticating and then throwing authentication exceptions, and you're bringing things in from all over to do that from multiple locations, then that's going to be problematic. So, you know, when you have regularity and you have structure and, and architecture, those things get a lot easier. Understanding the pipeline helps a lot as well. Your middleware happens first and your middleware doesn't have context because it's it's just something that handles your requests. And then after your global middleware happens, you get into your pipes and guards. And then so your pipes and guards happen with context. They know what route you're in and what controller is serving it and things like that. And then your controller actually handles these things and your controller is scoped to be injected with providers that serve your controller. Um, and those providers can then have other stuff injected into them and injected into them, and you can have a whole mm-hmm. mess. So again, it requires, right. it requires you to say like, look, I'm only going to create services and those services are gonna interact with my database. And then I'm gonna create helpers and my helpers aren't gonna use my services, but my services cause you might use my helpers. Like, it requires you to structure things in a way that makes sense and is hierarchical. And so, otherwise, you get, you know, your tangle with your providers. Sure. You know, like, yeah. oh, my services and helpers can use one another. Well, now I have a tangle of providers that I didn't want to have.
0: And circular dependencies and such. And yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as long as you manage the structure, so you you have non-context middleware you have context, pipes and guards, and then you have your your controller. And then on the way out, you have interceptors. And the only thing outside of that that I can think of off the top of my head is you have an exception filter, which can handle things at various levels. Like you can have a global exception filter, and you can have like other exception filters. You have your DTOs, which are part of your controller. Like your DTOs are just essentially plain classes that define how things go in. And so if you're in a specific context, you know where that is to look, you know, you can debug that and then your interceptors are things that go on the way out that transform stuff going out. And so like, if you know the pipeline in your context that you're in for the most part, it's pretty straightforward. The only middleware that I often use is something like passport, which has all the interceptors and guards and things. Available to you through Nest, like Nest provides wrappers for a lot of these common scenarios. So it brings it back into context, but a lot of this is pretty straightforward. Once, you know, the opinion (laughs) of the framework, you know, the problem with spring, a lot of times is you'll get global handlers and you get different ways of doing things like I've been on projects that are migrating from XML notation to annotations and have everything crossed together and they haven't done a full. Migration yet. So you have both annotations and the XML that you have to sort through. And then the XML doesn't map very easily to what it's actually doing. And then you have global transformers that you can accept like specific class data. And you have like essentially a global transformer for that. So I mean, Spring has gotten a lot simpler as well. But yeah, anybody who's ran into Spring and ran into a mess there knows that it can be definitely painful. Mm -hmm. Nest doesn't have a lot of that burden from the past. (laughs) Maybe it will in 20 years or 10 years or however long spring's been around, but it's pretty straightforward now to say like, this is the path. These are the things I have to look at. And the only place where it really gets dicey sometimes is in the middleware.
0: Okay. So it gives you enough rope to do what you need to do, but also you could hang yourself.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you, you always can in anything.
3: To do, be able to do anything sufficiently complex, you always have to have that little bit of rope.
0: Oh, sure, sure. Like I said, I'm skeptical just because of the products that I've been on.
3: <laughs> JavaScript? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean,
0: not just JavaScript. You know, I mentioned Spring and I mean, even in Python, you know, like uh, PyTest, it uses dependency injection as well. And those can get to be pretty crazy. Just the stuff that you can do with fixtures and, and injecting them into tests. So, I mean, like you were saying, you know, you can get into this mess, like this ball of string and twine almost of dependencies if you're not careful. And I think that as developers, we see a shiny new paradigm or a shiny new object and we're like, what all can we do with this? And we throw it into our project and we get to the end of the project and it's like, what
1: did I do? So one thing that nest has that really helps with dependencies, not tangling themselves is, is they have this idea of a module. And your module helps limit the scope of your injections. So like Angular? So in your Angular module, you define what goes in and comes out of that module?
0: Yeah. Imports and exports.
1: How often are modules used?
0: Depending on your application. At least once. At least once. At least once. So with
1: Nest, it's pretty common to have a module for every single high-level controller. Okay. So if you have an admin root you would have a module for it. If you had like a user route, you would have a module for it. If you had any object route, you would have a module for it. And that allows you to group your imports and exports in that way, your services and providers, which are the same thing, Nest, but your services and providers and your controllers, usually if you have a controller, you have a module and they serve one another. Gotcha. Forcing this paradigm helps a lot. spring, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can have global everything, if I remember my spring correctly, you can have like localized injectors in spring and most of the languages that use dependency injection, but it's not a common paradigm because people are like, "Oh, it's not worth the trouble until, you know, you have to like unravel your architecture. All right, great.
0: Yeah. And uh, modules are introduced pretty soon in the documentation, like in the, in the tutorial. So it, when you go through the, the Angular docs, at least previous Angular docs, the Angular module was kind of like, we're not going to talk about this until a long time from now. Oh. <laughs> and so, like, so, you know, if you want to do lazy loading, then they're like, oh, yeah, you got to have a module for this section. And then if you want to do... But it's not really talked about. And in the Nest documentation, I think it's what the... F- after first steps, it's like three sections from then.
1: Yeah, first steps, the f- it shows you your, like, hey, use the CLI to create a new project. Yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. the first bit of code it shows is, like, here's your main file. And the first thing you do is you create a Nest factory, and then you use your application module to start everything. So it's, like, literally modules are literally in the first bit of code that the, the documentation shows.
0: And if I remember right, let me have a look. Real quick, controllers, providers. Yeah, it looks like Nest modules are quite a bit simpler as well.
1: Yeah, good ones are just a few lines. If you need to entangle middleware, it gets messy, but rarely do you need to. The most common case will be like Passport, things like that. Again, if you're doing like uh, sessions and cookies and things, you'll probably bring in those Express middleware handlers. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all small touch points. Most of your code, like your lead can set that up and forget it. And then most of your code will be like controllers and providers and services that you're writing. And it's it's all well-defined and well-opinionated. I mean, Nick, were you able to pick things up pretty quickly once you got the gist of Nest?
3: Yeah, definitely. I still kind of get, I'd say I don't touch the back end enough yet to, um, not get a little confused between the specific DTOs and where like there's a lot of DTOs defined for a lot of different things like all of the, the return values or values that we're bringing in right but then also like there's entities and we, we haven't really touched on that but uh, on our project we're using a project called type ORM to talk to the database and set all of that up as the object relational mapper. And so you have to also create these entities and make sure that they're synced between. Like if you make changes to them, those changes flow down to all of the DTOs that it might affect and things like that.
1: Yeah, type ORM, I would say, is more of a complex piece of software. Anytime you do deal with ORM, there's always going to be like tricks and everything. Type ORM is nice. It supports both ORM models. It's entity model or entity domain or something like that. So you can interact with either a repository or the entity directly when doing updates yeah type orm is we could probably do a whole separate thing on type orm
0: oh for sure there we go we've got our next episode
1: (laughs) oh yeah next episode type orm is uh typescript first as well which is one of the reasons we chose it yeah (laughs) without going too much into it orm is always the place that I tend to fight and Uh and it's just, you know, like, how are you, how are you joining this? Why didn't you add this table? Why are you doing it? Why like this way? Yeah. And it's always hard to like work with or test sometimes because now you're dealing with two systems, like your system that you're writing and then a remote database.
3: One of the cool things that I, I like about Nest is that it does try and help you debug a little easy easier too with some built-in modules that you can use at development time. For example, they have a Swagger wrapper so you can detect if you're running in development mode and then it will just deploy at like slash Swagger the Swagger tool so that you can see all of the routes and you can see what they accept. You can add decorators to your DTOs and such so that it's describing what will show up in Swagger so you can provide full descriptions for things, provide examples, and then you can actually run the routes from there so you can test your REST APIs.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. You need to add Swagger decorators to do that now, right?
3: I think so. Yeah.
1: See what some people, okay, so because like Nest and these tools are TypeScript first, some people are starting to look at the TypeScript service layer. What is it, the ASL or something like that? the architecture, the hierarchy of the TypeScript compiler. Oh, the AST. AST, thank you. The ASL. (laughs) What am I, an IRC? Well, I was thinking American Sign Language, but
3: you know. (laughs) That stands for abstract syntax tree for our lovely listeners.
1: (laughs) Since TypeScript has this idea of a syntax tree that you can walk, people are looking at things like being able to auto-generate your client-side code based on the expected return types or the expected shape of your return from your controllers. So maybe in the future, we won't have to write validation code on the client side anymore, which you all should be doing. <laughs> maybe we won't have to write that validation code on the client side anymore to make sure that, hey, this string came across as actual string, because it'll just be part of our compilation steps, which is kind of what Swagger does. It kind of identifies the shape of
3: things and lets you play with it. I really like things that help self-document.
1: Yeah, or just do it all for you, right, Nick?
0: Yep. (laughs) Well, guys, thanks for telling us all about Nest. We'll have some links in the show note to go ahead and check that out. I'm kind of excited to to take a look at implementing maybe my next project in Nest. So cool. Well, that's all we have for today.
1: Except we're going to mention a talk script.
0: Oh yeah, there's a talk script, citing something like that. What? It's going to be Nick and Neil, right? Yep. Yeah. Nick and Neil are going to be at JSConf, August 12th through 14th, and Talk Script is the official podcast of JSConf. So we will be there. We'll be interviewing people, doing our podcast stuff at the conference. So come by. Check us out. Um, We'll have some swag and all that good stuff. All right, now that's all we have, right? Am I forgetting anything?
1: Nope, you're good, Brian. We are good to go. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Paul.
0: All right, with that, just remember, until next time, stay type safe.
2: Thanks for listening to the Talkscript podcast. You can round out your Talkscript experience by viewing our show notes, listening to past episodes, subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, and of course, following us on Twitter at TalkScript. We record new episodes every other week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of TalkScript, a superset of a podcast about JavaScript.
3: We've got a good thing going on. Bah, 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 bah.